This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, September 6, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour. This is an hour for you, it's designed for you, and we craft our process and our content so that you have some actionable material, some educational material. And all in an effort to help you become a better investor, to help you take that next step in your path. Your path, this is a constant path. You're never going to learn it all in in one day, one month, or one year. There's always something changing and something new that you have to think about and and process and implement into into your strategy. You know, this is why... There's two types of media that is that can be very regular, and that would be sports, right? Sports always changing, new games, players moving, etc. As well as investing, markets, economy. So always new companies coming up, new earnings reports, new economic data coming out. So that's why there's there's a lot there's a lot to process. So just like in sports, you can't have the same strategy on the uh, the basketball court as you did a decade ago, for example. You can't have the same strategy as you do in markets a decade ago. So that's what we are to help you stay on top of. And we're going to cover a lot on today's show. We're going to get in the market performance as well as rundown of the show topics. But first, let's go to our first caller question, the 888-99 chart. Hey, Steve or Justin. This is Bob from Ohio. I'm calling about uh, stock ticker GPK, graphic package holding. I've been averaging into this for the past year, and I'm currently down about 10% on my total position. But PE is low at around 9.5. I know the last earnings report wasn't great, but it still seems like a solid company. So I would love to hear on your future analysis. Thanks again. All right. This is graphic package packaging holdings, GPK. A fairly large company, $6.6 billion market cap. Now, they do have a good amount of debt, $5.3 billion in long-term debt. That does worry me just a bit. Its free cash flow is solid, $520 million trailing 12 months, but that is starting to come down. Now, they, they suffered, they were, they were not doing very well pre-pandemic. 2017, 2018, 2019, its free cash flow was decidedly negative. And it went positive really in late 2019. So they were recovering right before the pandemic. And then when people started to buy more physical goods, they did very well. Earnings went to $1.12 in 2020 from $0.87 in 2019. Then all the way to $2.23 last year and expected $2.83 this year. 
The problem is that growth is slowing dramatically. Now, what do they do? They make paper board packaging products for companies in the food, beverage, and household industries. So it's a packaging company. Now, the question is, is the business this good? Right now, the turn equity is 32%. But longer term, that profitability is closer to the mid-teens of the turn equity. The median over the past five years is 14.2%. So it's probably over-earning right now, and you're starting to see that growth slow dramatically. A year ago, so I don't like the debt. I don't like that it's drastically over-earning. And so I would sell it and move on. All right. Thanks for the call. Now, on today's show, I'm going to cover a lot. I'm give you my unbiased perspective and a lot of data. And there's a lot to cover over 45 minutes. But my main focus point is going to touch on avoiding investment mistakes. We're going to use two major examples of some recent scandals and the red flags that should have prevented investors from putting too much money at risk in these two endeavors where investors lost the vast majority of their money. Okay. So we're going to look at that topic. Also, rents rents in suburbia are, are pretty strong. And what does that tell you about the long-term migration dynamics within the country? So we're going to look at that. Also, the DOJ and the SEC is investing in, te- investing in Tesla over an internal project by Elon Musk. So we'll look at that story. And then lastly, oil now over $90 per barrel for the first time this year on the back of Saudi Arabia and Russia extending their production cuts. So obviously that is an important aspect of the global economy, but inflation most of all and how that impacts bond yields. So we're going to look at that. We also have some voice bank questions, one in regards to treasury bonds and the other Triton International, and I will attempt to fit in an iTunes review question as well. Now let's talk about the market as a whole today. It was decidedly negative. You had large cap equities down 0.65%, so two-thirds of 1% on that front. Small caps, after underperforming dramatically yesterday, outperformed uh, nicely today. Mid-caps are the best, though, only down 0.19% on the day. So that was the best performer on the day. We continue to see this this more volatile market. Now, is this volatility that is dramatic, that is super worrisome? Not really. The back half of the year is typically more volatile than the first half of the year. And you're seeing that. Does that mean that you have to go into a new bear market? Not necessarily either. This could just be a consolidation period before a next leg higher. If you look at global liquidity, it's coming back some, but it's more more vacillating here as opposed to starting a new downtrend, which last year global liquidity was in a clear downtrend due to rising bond yields in a big way and that had an impact on collateral and, and, and lending abilities because of that collateral, et cetera. And you're getting some of that dynamic right now with the 10 year moving from three and a half all the way to we're approaching four and a half. 
you know, it was a three and a half back in, let's call it, yeah, 3.3 back in April. Now we're at 4.3. So it has moved 100 basis points on the 10 year in that time frame. And not a long, that's not a long period of time. One, two, three, four, five months. But if you look back last year, it was a much bigger move. The fall of 2021, 10 year was at half a percent. And by the end of, let's go back to the beginning of last year. Beginning of last year was at 1.5%. And we moved all the way up to a high of 4.5% late last year. So that's a 300 basis point move in, the, in a year. That's very dramatic. This is significant, but it's not dramatic. And so I don't think you're seeing the same impact more broadly on liquidity. So is there going to be more volatility in this seasonally more volatile time? Probably. Does it mean there's a credit event that's going to precipitate a waterfall down move? Nothing is saying that right now. Not out of the question, not out of realm of possibility, but credit spreads aren't widening out. Financial conditions aren't tightening in an extreme way. And the technicals are generally fine in markets. So most of all, you're kind of seeing this orderly process of working off an overbought condition. And mostly this is consolidation. Now, as we head to a break, let me tell you about the InvestTalk Classroom Series, streaming now for free on our YouTube channel. The topic of episode five is how to invest in recessionary times. We explore what is a recession compared to a financial crisis. Just search the Invest.Classroom Classroom series over on YouTube. And now my phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Foods, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99CHART. The stock market is constantly changing. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Invest Talk. 888 99 Chart. Now, my, my main focus point today looks into the story behind this headline Avoiding Investment Mistakes is crucial and it highlights a couple of recent scandals and the main one would be the Chinese property developer Evergrande and then the other would be financial services conglomerate Allianz and their structured alpha suite of funds. 
Now, these are obviously two different continents, two kind of different financial systems, and both sets of investors lost the vast majority of their money, if not all. Now, let's start with Evergrande. Now, Evergrande's main business was real estate. But what did they do? They also offered, quote-unquote, wealth management products. And these were widespread for a long period of time, still are, in a lot of ways, within China. And they were offering these products to customers who bought their apartments. And it turns out that they ran a Ponzi scheme. They used incoming proceeds to pay off older debts. And investors, rather than cash, what they got back in return were IOUs for future apartments. Yeah, you bought one. We're not going to give your money back, but we'll give you another apartment. Maybe you need to. Now, Allianz is another one. And what they did is they invested in very complex derivative funds or, or launched a, pair, a, a, a suite of complex der- derivative funds. And the more conservative of the funds, and these were supposed to be cash-like instruments, dropped 30% and never – and the more aggressive ones lost almost everything. Since then, the whole suite of products have shuttered. They're gone. Now, what were the mistakes here? Now, number one is aiming too high. We know the saying. It's too good to be true. It probably is. Allianz Structured 1000 Fund had a goal of outgaining cash by an annualized 10 percentage points. Generating returns both in rising and falling equity markets and both low and high market volatility. So in all markets, it's going to outperform cash by 10%. That is too good to be true. Clearly, there is a correlation. It's not always one for one, but you can't have high returns, low risk. Doesn't work like that. Evergrande was the same thing. They offered 11.5% annual gains. The 10-year Chinese government bond Right now, paying 2.87%. So clearly, they were taking some risk to get excess return, excess income. You have to take some level of risk. Now, it can be smart risk. It can be stupid risk. But it's going to be need to be some risk. And there's some alpha there or there's some negative alpha. But there's some correlation there. Okay. Now, after the break, I'm going to get to mistakes two and three. Now, this is Invest Talk. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank at 888 chart. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99 Chart. 
Now, before the break, I talked about the first mistake that most investors make, which is not paying attention to the age-old adage. It's too good to be true. Probably is. But number two is accepting complexity. And if you look back in history, the odds of outperforming simply due to complexity or or, uh, intricacy of a certain investment strategy, it's pretty low. Among mutual funds and ETF funds, the top 20-year performers, 20 years, over the last 20 years, measured by risk-adjusted returns. Remember I talked about the more risk you take, the there's, there's a risk and reward trade-off here. Lower risk, lower returns, higher risk, higher returns. And then there's the alpha, right? How much uh, more return are you getting for the amount of risk you're taking? That's what Alpha is measuring. And 19 of those 20 top ones have had straightforward approaches, just owning equities or owning bonds. The only one that is different is the PIMCO total return fund. They use some derivatives in there to boost returns. So that's kind of the outlier. But accepting complexity means... Investing in a lot of faith. For example, Evergrande never informed. Sorry, sorry. They did inform their their investors they would use their money for uh, privately held companies. But Structured Alpha employed option tactics that have been only accepted by really experts within the field. And once again, they're complex. All derivatives are complex. So just because something seems fancy, shiny, and new, maybe they wrap it up in a new term. Remember portfolio insurance? So it caused the Asian financial crisis, for example. There's nothing new under the sun. And so simple approaches work better. Number three, flying blind, meaning not understanding what you're invested in. For our clients, I'll give you an example. For our clients, they can log in. They see their, we, they, we know they're, they know what we're buying, individual stocks, bonds, et cetera. They can log in through Charles Schwab website. They can log in through our client portal, which is just simply a direct feed from Charles Schwab. And they can see everything. When you're buying a mutual fund or an ETF, they're reporting monthly. And that is typically sufficient. But with Evergrande, for example, it was blind pools of money. They had no idea where their money was going. Same with Allianz funds. Their, their, their turnover was so high that even the the required reporting requirements weren't sufficient enough because their portfolio turnover was every couple of weeks. And so investors really didn't know, you know, how those positions were being moved. So you want a clear understanding of what they're invested in on a consistent basis, not once a year, not in some 
material that generally explains what they're investing in. Oh, we're investing in these types of companies or, you know, companies of this size or whatever. You want to know what it is exactly you're being invested in. And so while these examples are global, there's obviously a lot of domestic examples. Bernie Madoff, for example, that can teach you similar lessons. All right, now let's touch a bit on what are we going to next? Let's talk about rents. Now, rents are, you know, the rent is too damn high. You heard that? I love that. It's a great uh, SNL skit. And that's true, certainly, in the suburbs. And what this is saying about the migration of families out of the major cities And this is not just a pandemic flash in the pan type of trend. Pandemic is behind us now, you know, a year plus. And the trends are broadly similar. They're not as intense. Means not as many people are moving out of these city centers, but it's still steady. And then you add on the high mortgage rates and and low transaction volumes for single family homes in the suburbs, people are kind of forced to rent. So after the break, I'm going to get into what's the data here? What is it telling us about the trends domestically within the rental markets? And if you're investing in, let's say real estate, the parts of the country you want to be invested in or the areas within particular cities. Now, in the next Invest Talk, we'll look into the story. The majority of homeowners feel locked in by the current mortgage rate. After bottoming out between 3% in 2021, or below 3% in 2021, the average rate for a 30-year mortgage now sits above 7%, which is just too high for many homeowners to consider selling. That story for not tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now, before the break, I was starting to explain the rent trends between urban cores and the suburbs and rents in the suburbs have climbed 26% through this past July since March of 2020, the beginning of the pandemic. And that's eight percentage points higher than the gains we've seen in urban cores. And suburban rent growth was greater than its urban counterpart in 28 of 33 metro areas study. The widest gap was in Portland, Oregon, and it lost nearly 3% of its population between 2020 and 2022. The suburbs of Portland, rents were up 23%, compared to only 2% within the city center. Now we know the number of existing home sales in the last few months have shrank the lowest levels since 2010 and housing rents in places like Chicago, Boston, Orlando, each rose more than 5% in June. 
but that's mainly in the suburbs. And single-family home rent, rental landlords will have the highest returns of all real estate owners this year, most likely. Now, apartment rents are actually declining slightly. But that hasn't really been felt in the suburbs. So it's mainly been the urban core apartments that are running negative year over year. Now, this is about population. Suburban suburbs nationwide have gained about 800,000 new members, new residents moving out of the urban core. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. And when it comes to development, developers are moving into building apartments outside of central business districts. Now, this had been a trend pre-pandemic, but it's only intensified since. Now, what that could mean is, you know, markets work. Over time, our volumes of new projects going to go up in the suburbs. Yes, but that's going to meet, I think, increasing demand because I think it's the, the work from home. I don't think it's going away. We know that. And so these trends are going to shape our country for years and years to come. And I don't think this overarching trend is going to shift. And that means real estate out of these big cities are going to be more attractive. And I remember a decade ago, everyone was talking about the rise of the rise of the the big city because of easier transit and uh, this would help with climate change, et cetera. That's all reversed. All right, let's go to Dave in Ohio looking at Dominion. Hi, Justin. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I've owned the Dominion for uh, uh, a couple of years now, but it's in a steady decline. And uh, I know they're selling off some of their natural gas business to Canada. Uh, my question is, uh, do you feel that dividend is safe? Ooh. Dominion. This is Dominion Energy. It's one of the largest utility companies out there. Let's see. Let's look at some of the numbers here. Ooh, they have a lot of debt. They do have a lot of debt. Their pay ratio is high, 94%. Their cash dividend pay ratio is negative because they have negative free cash flow. And it continues to go negative. I want to know why that is. I'd have to really dig into that. Their profitability is pretty poor. Their debt levels are $48 billion and going higher. So they're selling off assets because they need to deleverage the balance sheet. And what this means is that more and more of their earnings, their cash flow is going to go towards paying down debt. So I'm going to say no. I, I don't think this dividend is safe. The technicals are really bad. Really, really bad. I'd sell it. Move on. It's that simple. If it's this bad, just sell it and move on. Thanks for the call. Thank you. 
Let's keep things moving and pivot to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from a listener in Illinois on 888 chart. Hey guys, it's Rob over in Illinois. Love the show and I've listened for a long time. I had a question. One stock that I keep getting a message for a short tender offer. Uh, obviously, I don't know much, if at all, anything about it. And I was wondering if there is some kind of general guidance on that, on what to look for on that and what to do about it. Um, the stock that is getting the short tender offer is TRTN. I've had it for a while, actually done, done really well, but uh, obviously now we're in this situation. So I don't know what really is the best thing to do. Looking forward to hearing your answer on the show. Thanks. All right. looks like a buyout. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what this is. It, it, it jumped back in early April, April 12th. And I'm going back to the news here on April 12th. Yeah, it's being bought by Brookfield Infrastructure. It's been agreed to. It's been trading right around this range, right around 83 ever since. It looks like they're getting about $85 per share. Now that is $68.50 in cash and $16.50 in Brookfield infrastructure. So there's some level of volatility here. But that's basically what's happening. It's just going to get bought out. Do you want, the question is, do you want $16.50 of this $85 to go into Brookfield infrastructure? Do you want that? That's what you have to ask yourself now. The rest is going to mean cash. Now, I don't know how long you've owned it. Maybe there's some tax consequences here. Maybe you'll go to long-term if you wait a little bit longer before you sold it. That's something to consider. But I would just sell it and move on. You have better opportunities to earn more money, especially in cash these days. And obviously, could fall apart. The deal could, but probably not. So I would just sell it and move on. And that's what you're getting. You're getting a buyout offer. Thanks for the call. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on the next, ask, ask your question live or leave a message on the next show. Now, let's touch a bit on an investigation. Investigation by the Manhattan Federal Prosecutor's they're investigating Tesla. And this is from the U.S. Attorney's Office of the Southern District of New York, as well as the SEC. They're opening a civil investigation into what is called Project 42. And basically, this is misappropriation of funds. In a huge, complex, basically a home for Elon Musk. Now, they say they're in the early stages, and it could mean nothing. But even Tesla's lawyers and the board members are scrutinizing this project. Spending millions of dollars on specialized glass and doing this to build a huge property that seems like a personal residence for Elon near the headquarters in Austin, Texas. Now, remember... Elon moved to move Tesla to Texas because of tax reasons and regulation, right? Most, most wealthy individuals, billionaires, they live in a tax-free state. I would probably say the majority of them live in Texas. 
I know a couple twice removed <laughs> from people I know. And, uh, I think they all live in Texas, typically Austin. And so this is not a shock. But, and it's also not a shock if you look at the corporate governance of Tesla throughout the years. It's been pretty bad. Prosecutors are already seeking information on the reported driving ranges of Tesla vehicles. Reuters reported that in July, Tesla had inflated the projected distance its vehicles could travel on a single battery charge. Not a shock. Now, the SEC requires public companies to disclose transactions above $120,000 in which are related parties, right? Regulation also requires that any perks or other personal benefits worth more than $10,000 paid to the senior most executives be disclosed to investors. Once again, not disclosed. And this is not something SEC has never done. They filed action against Hilton Worldwide over failure to report perks to the CEO. The Justice Department and the SEC is opening investigations into Tesla, whether they misled customers on the ability of autopilot as well. So this is the uh, another of a string of you know, poor governance by executives as well as the board of Tesla. So pretty interesting to see where that goes. All right, let's go to Richard in Valencia. Let's talk about Volkswagen. Yeah. Hey, Justin, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, my question um, is, uh, I know you've been a, an advocate and a proponent of the parts of the electric car industry in terms of investing versus the auto dealers themselves. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know um, I've heard you say at one point that uh, if you're going to invest in uh, an automaker, that first choice, at least months ago, uh, was Volkswagen. Volkswagen's really come down, you know, it's down to about... You know, thirteen something uh, in terms of uh, stock price. Um, given all that, do you see that as a stock to get into at this point, or would it be would it be good at this point? Uh, the simple answer is no. And and you know, I, I was I remember when kind of post pandemic when all the EV companies were going crazy. Volkswagen was in my mind, the best one of the bunch because of the history of their ability to just produce quality cars at scale and profitably and their design prowess. And they're, they've they great brands, not just Volkswagen, but Audi and, and uh, Porsche, et cetera. But that was also well before the war. Remember, the German industrial base is extremely dependent on natural gas coming out of Russia, cheap natural gas. So the question is, would you, do you still want to own a lot of companies who are dependent on that cheap natural gas coming out of, out of Russia? Probably not. That's a simple answer. So, no. Once again, 
Is it the best of the bunch? Yeah, I still think it's probably the best of the bunch. Is the war weakened the, the case for it? Yes. But all just because you see it, you know, it's one of those things where you drive down the road, you see all these brands. Oh, look at all these cars. I see this brand all the time. It's top of mind. But that's not how you invest. Don't invest that way. Invest based on the quality of the business, not how many units they sold. And the car business is one of the worst businesses there are in the world. I'll repeat that again. It is one of the worst businesses there are in the world. Think about how capital intensive it is. The amount of just sheer billions of dollars that has to go in to develop these plants around the world, dealing with different jurisdictions. You're selling into in different jurisdictions, different countries. You're dealing with tens, if not hundreds of thousands of employees. Many of them in unions that you have to battle. And then your business is cyclical. It's up and down. It's all over the place. Depending on the whims of the, of the economy. And you have to come out with new models every, every year. You're always working on that next iteration. You know, they refresh, you know, BMW refreshes the three series every like five years. So you have to invest in design and, and, and a lot of IP and then IP, a lot of it comes, comes off obsolete in five, 10 years. Cause something new comes along that's sexier or cooler. It's just a horrible business. So is it the best of the horrible businesses? Sure. But why would there are a lot of good businesses out there? Why waste your time? Focus elsewhere. All right, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal each and every weekday, and that is to help you. Help you avoid the shiny objects. That's what that car business is to me. Just a big shiny object. A lot of shiny objects you see all over the road. Doesn't mean that shiny object is a good business. Our work continues after this final break, so get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hi, Stephen Jeffing. My question today is about bonds and treasuries. Would you just like a three to six month bond or treasury? What does that mean with the payouts? Do they pay you after the three or six months? Or is that annualized where they pay you after 12 months, the interest plus, plus principal? Just want to get a little clarification on that. I'm not, I'm not confused. I uh, love what you guys do for the show. Looking forward to hearing the answer. Bye-bye. Now, when you're buying treasury 
Well, there's treasury bonds, and then there are bills. So bonds pay typically longer term, and they pay semi-annual interest. Now, you can buy those later that just mature in a few months, right? So they're still going to pay you some interest payments. But the majority of the time when you're buying these short-term treasury instruments, you're buying bills. And means that you're not getting a an interest payment. You're effectively buying them at some sort of a discount. And then you're getting par upon maturity. So par is 100. And you're going to buy them at some discount. Maybe it's 99, 98, 97, whatever that is. And you're going to earn that difference. You're not going to get paid anything until that bond matures. And you get your money back. You might buy a three-month treasury, a th- treasury bill. And right now, the three-month is trading at 5.55%. So you're going to get on a three-month. Now, you're not getting 5.55% in total. You're, all, you're getting 5.55 divided by four because that's what three months is, right? It's a quarter of the year. So effectively, you're getting you know, one, 1.3, 1.4% over those three months. And that's that appreciation that you're going to get. You're going to buy it at probably 98, high 98s, 98, 70, 98, 80, something like that. I don't know the exact math right now. And you're going to get 100 upon maturity. That's how those treasury bills work. You're not getting paid any interest over that three months. You're simply getting your full par back, and that gain is effectively your interest. And that is char that is uh, treated as interest, really, uh, from a tax perspective. Because treasury interest or gains on those bills, those zero coupon bills, are charged uh, from a tax perspective. You're not charged on state and local taxes, but you're charged at the federal level. So I think those are great. Great to invest in if you're just looking for short-term returns in the markets or in, uh, in treasuries that are very safe. Now, lastly, let's touch on the news out of the oil markets, and that has pushed the price of crude up to ninety over $90 per barrel for the first time this year, and that is Russia and Saudi Arabia extending their voluntary production cuts until the end of the year. Now, Saudi Arabia leads the OPEC cartel, and they had cut an additional 1 million barrels a day from global oil markets since July. And it was originally said as temporary. And then they extended to the end of September. Now, they're extending it till the end of the year. And Russia has done the same thing. Their cut was 300,000 barrels. And they said that would stay in place till the end of the year as well. And this is an effort for for these largest oil producers to deal with budget problems. We know that Russia is trying to finance a war. We know Saudi Arabia is trying to wean their economy off of oil. But paradoxically, they, they need oil prices to stay relatively high in the near term to fund i know they're making that long city in the desert it's like this long create they started construction on that it's going to be many many billions of dollars 
for that. So they don't want oil prices going too high because that fuels countries weaning themselves off of fossil fuels and and, and oil. Uh, But I think with climate change, I think they already are doing that anyway. So I think they're more focused on the near term and that is improving their budgets. And it's not surprising that they are trying to keep oil prices up. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And remember, we have achieved more than 55.4 million downloads since it all began. And that's thanks to you. So thanks for tuning in. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.